Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that these stories will help you find ways to engage in your own communities as we work together for a more just and loving world. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Welcome to this episode of Jesus Has Left the Building in our fourth season, Follow Me and Subscribe, where we are talking to people who are doing really interesting social media ministry. Um, today, our guest is Doug Paget of um, Vote Common Good. He's the executive director for Vote Common Good. And um, interesting and fun fact about Doug is that he and my husband, Russ, knew each other like 20 years ago um, when Russ was a worship pastor at a um, evangelical megachurch in the Dallas area. And Doug was um, a member of that community and they've kind of stayed together. And um, Doug has this, this really cool um, and kind of um, unique ministry um, where he, uh, so he was a pastor for a long time, but in the last couple of years has started this Vote Common Good um, organization that helps people who feel compelled to vote in a um, in a way that maybe doesn't line up with their values because they've always considered themselves a Republican or whatever, like helping them to really figure out how to vote in line with their values. Um, and it's really, it, I think it made a huge difference in um, the election of 2020. Yeah, so um, another fun fact is that we got to actually be with Doug in person I don't know, was it three or four um, years yeah, ago? I think it was 2018, maybe? At the Wild Goose Meeting House in downtown Colorado Springs with a small group of people talking about, at the time, his newest book. And right. um, Doug is great. And what I'll say is he was still um, pastoring a church at the time. Right. But Doug has never done anything in the traditional <laughs> format right like right. he's always sort of been outside the box absolutely um in the way he's done ministry so it's not surprising that he is now going full force with this um vote common good um which i see on a regular basis comes up every single day in my newsfeed. every right. morning um there's a new episode um podcast and, episodes yeah podcast episodes and but every uh, single day people that is a lot of podcasts and a lot of conversations about yeah. a lot of really important information and so the title of this episode is called it's about the everybody and the reason that it's called that is because Doug was very explicit that each day is a different subject, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember yeah. the difference? Oh gosh. I mean, there's um, the faith intersection. There's a science intersection, um, just like different days to kind of engage different uh, interests for people who, you know, some people may not be interested in having a conversation about voting and science, but they might be interested in voting and climate or whatever. Right. So they might, they could like engage just on Mondays mm -hmm. or Mondays and Wednesdays, or they could engage every day. And so I think that's what Doug 
um, Doug's whole theme is, is it's about to be everybody. It's about figuring out ways to engage everybody. So uh, the podcast is not just available on Facebook live stream. Like Doug is connecting with all kinds of platforms um, to tell stories and get the message out there and spread the good news and right. talk about important issues, all the things that you would actually do in a church building, Doug is doing outside right. the church. Welcome. Welcome to um, our time today. Describe a little bit, um, Vote Common Good, and how you decided upon that um, and upon this particular kind of ministry and the platforms and tools that you decided to use um, with Vote Common Good. So Vote Common Good is an effort trying to help people of faith to have the freedom to detach their Republican identity if they have one from their from their faith identity um, specifically. Uh, there's a lot of people who have a, a other political identities connected to their to their faiths. Um, we feel like there's a whole lot of people who no longer want there to be a Republican identity that's tied to their Christian faith, but they came to them as, as a package. They were sort of wedded or welded together. And the decoupling of those so that a person can maintain or even deepen into their Christian faith and not feel like that has a political demand that they be and act and vote like a Republican uh, is something that we wanted to address. Primarily because we, and I, I helped initiate the start of this whole thing, saw Donald Trump as a particular threat to the well-being of this planet and everyone who lives on it. And to try to move anyone we could to try to prevent him from continuing the power of the presidency. Uh, was something that we thought was a public good and a public service. And I've been a pastor for my whole adult life, I'm 54. I've been doing this. I think I started as working as an intern at a church on a pastoral staff when I was 19. So, you know, as long as I can remember uh, being an adult, I have been in this kind of pastoring uh, space. And I've always thought that Christianity should be a public service and a public good. I I didn't grow up in religion. I wasn't raised inside of a, a religious tradition. So I never saw it as a familial passing or as just something that my family did. Uh, I entered into it as a convert when I was just turning 17. And uh, I saw this as something that should be of service to the world and not to benefit a group or a little tribe of people, but it should be motivating people to what in the religious terms, you know, I call the benefit and blessing of all the world or the, you know, the kingdom or kingdom of God. And, and in the political space, I call that common good. So I just thought that was, should be the service of, of that work and trying to think of how do people frame and shape their identity? How do we understand ourselves? How do we understand who we are, how we operate in the world? That's been of deep interest to me for also all of my adult life. And how are we shaped and formed and what tools do we use what aesthetics do we desire? What values do we hold? And what um, categories of thinking do we do we employ? And those four, I think, create a culture, the way we think, the way we value, what we, aesthetics we use, and the tools that we deploy. That all creates a, a particular culture. So I've been very interested in the culture that shapes a person and frames them in, in how they live. And um, Community has been the primary mechanism through which I've tried to extend my expression of Christianity in the world to create communities that people could join and feel like they were a part of. Um, 
So Vote Common Good also feels a bit like that. Like that's what we're that's what we're up to um, in that in that particular work, work is helping Christians to extend their Christianity as something not just for themselves but for the benefit of others. So that's that's the work we do. And I, I'm no longer a pastor at a local uh, church. I, I pastored a church that I started um, called Solomon's Porch. Started it in uh, late 1999, and uh, I left that role uh, in January of 2000. So I spent 20 years in that particular context, and I'm no longer uh, uh, in that role in that community. January of 2020, right? Yeah. Not January yeah. of 2000. Is that what I said? January of 2000. Yeah. It was a very and short then I run. I gave it a good six months. Then I did the, then I did and the thought, math, and I was like, "Wow, this is." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, January of I was trying to think was it 2021? Uh, or it's so been a long I year. left it uh, January of uh, January second, 2021 was my final my final day there. So uh, 20 years. Uh, right. Uh, I was I was in that that particular role, um, and and doing a lot of thinking about what the you know as the context of this conversation is what are the technologies that we used and. Salmon's Porch is one of those emerging church things that got you know, a lot of notoriety for changing its tools, basically by rearranging the furniture and meeting in circles and using household furniture and uh, all this kind of thing. And I, I actually see that just as much as technology as um, bits and bytes and digital stuff. I think the way we organize our physical spaces is a use of technologies. I think in my category, those are all technological uses. And even though the great name of this podcast, you know, Jesus has left the building, a building itself is a particular technology that we choose to use, you know, uh, mm -hmm. don't have to have a building at all. There's no reason that any movement of spirituality has to have any location or a building, even having a location is a technology. And once I was able to sort of see all of this as technology, then everything is in service of what the community is trying to do or the shaping you're trying to trying to frame and nothing is essential nothing is necessary or mandatory so um that, that that's been that's been very helpful uh, in, in my own thinking about how we frame identity yeah so it's interesting because i think that you were you have been doing outside the box outside of the church building um ministries all along right even even within um even within your church space, like you said, it was, it was still, Jesus was leaving the building in a sense. Jesus was doing ministry completely different than I think many other um, contexts. Um, I think you were doing some really cool things even at that point. So it's not surprising that, that you have decided to now do ministry um, in a very creative outside the box way. Now, would you consider this work ministry um that's i think number one um and the then the other interest like i'm still like working with sort of your first comment on separating um you're not separating all politics from faith right you are separating what it means to be a republican from faith or like let's i i sort of want to dive into that a bit sure um sure. so i I say, I always say lots of words in one space. So I don't know, like- She has asked you 15 questions. I did I ask you 15 it. questions. Why use five words when you can use 15? That's my theory, <laughs> yes. Use them all, give them all their, give them all their try. Um, yeah, look, we, um, 
I guess every faith should be free from every political demand, right? So our faith should motivate us into greater levels of agency and greater levels of engagement and should not be beholden to any particular political um, party or political stance. I think that's just generally true. I hope that's true in my life. There's a particular problem in you know, 2000, 2021, uh, this last 20 years in the United States, that the identity of being an evangelical or Catholic Christian and being a Republican are particularly wed together, and that's having a certain negative impact. So we're doing work to try to solve for that problem, saying specifically to people who have suffered under that, that binding, of Republicanism and being a particular kind of Christian, that you can be freed from that. And you can choose to be a Republican if you want, but that's sort of your choice. You can vote for whom you want to. If you make the common good your voting criteria, that that's what you're bound to, then you can bring that attitude and that faith to different political parties and candidates. Uh, so we're trying to solve that, that particular problem. There are other faiths like if you're if you're from the historic black church in America in the 20th century and 21st century, chances are you're going to vote for Democrats. In fact, black church members vote for Democrats at a higher rate than white evangelicals vote for Republicans. I just don't mm. think that black church peoples are feeling the angst and the burden and the, the consternation that so many white Christians feel about being bound to Republicanism. Because in the black church. Um, the values that they hold are often in line with the person they feel compelled to vote for. And in the evangelical church, those values are in opposition sometimes, right? That's, that's the point. Yeah, there's just the, the individual people who are members of black churches don't feel like I can't really understand why I vote the way I do. There's right. so many Republicans, though, who are evangelical, they're like, I, I don't even know. It just doesn't feel like, it. and then Donald Trump comes on the scene and then all the America first stuff. And now the insurrectionists supporting business and people and the anti-immigration language and the anti-women movements. And people are just like, I, I don't want to be part of that anymore, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to break, break that. I don't know how to break free. Like you, you would, if that's not a problem for you to know how to get free from that, it can seem like, well, you just stop voting for a Republican. Uh, but that's that's really hard, uh, and and it doesn't actually solve the problem. Sometimes abstinence uh, doesn't really resolve the issue, uh, right? So so you think about somebody who struggles with alcohol or drug addiction. Sometimes they'll just stop using, and there's a phrase that's often used in that world about being a dry drunk, meaning they're not currently mm -hmm. consumed, but all the patterns that mm -hmm. were part of their addiction have stayed part of their, their life and they're, they're, they're still feeling the stress of having an addiction that they're not feeding. That same thing happens when in other parts of people's identity and it can happen in the political identity. So you get people who just say, well, I'm just not gonna vote for a Republican, but it didn't solve the problem happening in their heart and their mind and their spirit and their, and their thinking. So that's part of what we're trying to do is to free people from that. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of, you know, if you use, uh, Christian ministry language, it's evangelism or discipleship mm -hmm. or something like that, you know, uh, just helping people to include their politics in the way they think of themselves and their spirituality. 
And all that roots because I don't think any part of our lives are more precious or more protected than others. And ministry or belief and our faith should not be more engaged in one part of our life than any other part. It should mm. be evenly distributed. It's more like the skin on our body that might be a little thicker, might be a little rougher in some places, but it's going to cover the whole thing. If you go for you know spots that don't have skin, yeah, you've really got an issue. So even that question um, that Marta that you asked about, do I see this as ministry? I don't really struggle with what I call ministry and what I don't because it, it's not as if some things deserve our Christian reflection and community engagement and other things don't. So to me, it's not that I think everything is ministry. It's more that I think kind of nothing is ministry per se, right? Everything is spirituality and everything is the spirituality you bring. And ministry tends to kind of mean, well, what's the stuff that the church or the organization is going to spend its time focusing on? Mm -hmm. And I see Christianity, even inside of communities or churches, as people movements. So I think that churches do in the world whatever the people of their churches are doing in the world. So we used to joke around Solomon's Porch. People would say, like, what kind of what kind of stuff do you guys do at Solomon's Porch, like in the world? Like, oh, we. We, we run hospitals and uh, we sell houses and we uh, we teach children and we run farmers markets. And, I love you know, that. Like all the things that the people do, that's what we do. This is us doing all these things and every one of those things counts. Some of those we put more collective energy into organizing than others, but they're all part of what we're doing as a community in the world. And I just wish churches, I wish we did this better uh, when, when I was uh, in the role I was at Solomon's Porch. I wish we would spend time like chronicling that stuff. Yes. Amen. Really making like, like churches count things. I'm glad churches count things. We just don't count all the things. And we sometimes we don't count the more important things. Absolutely. Uh, can I tell you what, one little story about that? We, uh, mm -hmm. I was leading some seminar with other church leaders. And a lot of these people were in churches that were older at older congregants. And somebody, I was saying like, you know, sometimes we don't count the right things or we miss things. And maybe we spend time counting things that maybe aren't as important. And we use numbers and to the human mind, numbers really indicate that something's important. Like you walk in a building and see a number up on a wall. You're like, what's the number about? And so you walk into a church and you might see a number up on the wall. And somebody says, well, those are the hymns that we're going to sing, right? Like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a helpful note. So people can get their books ready and all that stuff. Are there any other numbers we could put up? So we're talking about this in this in this session. Somebody said, well, I think we should put up the number of people in our congregation who have paid off their houses and celebrate mm -hmm. with them. Because we have a lot of people that are in their 60s and 70s that have now paid off their house. And it's been a really important uh, thing for them. And we should celebrate that. That's a great idea, right? Could I, and then somebody else said, I think we should put up the number of people um, that the, the number that you, uh, uh, the people that you eat with uh, at dinner time, because a lot of people would put up the number zero because they eat dinner alone because we're in older mm -hmm. congregations. And one of the things we should be figuring out is not only how to celebrate people's successes, but what do we do about people that don't have anyone to eat with on Tuesdays mm -hmm. and Thursdays and Fridays, because that's a very real thing. Now, nothing wrong with the hymnal number, 
But boy, if we counted these other things as well, they maybe would give us some fabric of who, who this community is and how we're living our, our daily lives. Well, it's super interesting that you brought up that entire sto um, story around numbers, because I think that this time of using media um, has um, invited us to, um, number one, think of um, congregational life and church in this very fluid way. Um, and I think that we are still trying to um, reclaim counting, like, you know, how yeah. progressive theology has sort of reclaimed different names and redefined it. We are um, also um, figuring out how to reclaim church and community in a different way. Um, and what numbers actually mean in this time and what it means to do um, church um, differently, right? And, um, and how these, um, these medias and these forms of engaging people in these different methods um, are, you know, not, it's not the only way, right? It's just another way. It's just an added bonus toward, um, to renaming and reclaiming and, um, and you know, redefining what church means in, in, in a time like this. Um, so like, I, I just really appreciate you sort of um, talking about numbers in that way, because I think that is a huge part of all of this is that in our stable institutions, um, in our denominations, they still can't help but like, we need the number of formal members that you have in your context so that we know how much dues you have yeah. you do you have you 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 have owed to your conference and or association and i'm thinking like well that's interesting because i could give you the number of formal members but it's really not the it doesn't mean anything number. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything because like i'm gonna pay you less than yeah, what, and the number of people actually, that are engaged, yeah. Yeah, that are engaged and that belong to our community. And so that's fine. That's cool if we want to do that because, you know, it's less skin off our backs, right? <laughs> um, but it doesn't define fully um, and more and most mm. deeply who we are. And so um, I love that you brought that up. And I think the second thing is that I really want you to be super crystal clear for our listeners on is, is how what you mean by common good right so when i hear that i think of um you know um unfolding god's kingdom um in our midst right that is and but you know that's also like what do i mean by god's kingdom right yeah. um so I, I really would like you to sort of talk about that before we launch into mandy sort of mm -hmm. um you going live every morning, I think, right? And yeah. talking about that a little bit. Sure, yeah, when we say common good, it does raise that important question. What do you mean by the common good? Uh, and we have a couple, I have a couple of responses to that important question. One is, you know what it is. Everyone knows for themselves what it is. And it really doesn't help for someone else to tell them what it is. Now, part of the problem is when you're talking about politics or civic engagement, everyone's implicated. So it gets important, right? You start to say, well, 
uh, is this common good or not? But fundamentally, it has to feel and be experienced like it's common good to, to someone, right? So that's that's the first answer is the way you test if something's common good or not is how does it how, how does it feel uh, to you in your in your own experience and how do you understand? And then they just break down the two words like what's common or collective or all of us. Politics is the only part of our civilization in that that mandates everyone is involved. Right? Businesses don't worry about everyone. Your family doesn't worry about everyone. Nonprofits don't have to think about everyone. But civic life or politics, that's everybody. Mm -hmm. That, that that's that's irrespective of someone's relationship to one another or anything it's it's all of us so the the first criterion of common good is uh, does it cause someone to think as broadly as they possibly can about the everybody and just that right there what if you spend enough time on that one you'll get to something about goodness because normally once you've started expanding beyond your own commitments and all which is why so much politics is so feels so broken to people because they feel like politics is about me expressing my opinion to get what i want right like why do people vote against their best interests their, their own interests is a big question that people ask in politics well, I actually think people should vote against their 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 own interests at times, right? If it means for the common good, mm. like something might be mm -hmm. beneficial to me, but not beneficial to everybody else. So yeah, for sure, I would get more if if the votes went this way. But that's not what it's about. It's about everyone. So even the notion that we struggle with in our society that that really ultimately you should just look to your own self uh, interests. You know, it's not a very, first of all, it's not a very Christian way for people who happen to frame themselves around the Christian narrative, you know, sort of Philippians mm -hmm. 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, so, so the, the commonality or the everyone um, impulse is, is what we need to get to. Uh, and then goodness is squishy, right? Uh, and goodness needs to be held very carefully uh, because any of us who've matured or grown have realized that there were we've changed our opinion on things and things that used to seem like they were frivolous have now become really important and things that used to be really urgent uh have, have become you know may, maybe more that way or the opposite they've become something that we don't even concern ourselves with anymore so the goodness of it is is a very um it's 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 the art of it it's less science and so the definitions of common good seems to me that it's going to be that that which is uh, impactful on the most people mm -hmm. in a way that to them feels as if things are the way they ought to be. And, and I, you know, lots of other definitions that people like to use about this stuff where I have a friend who says you know, he thinks that the kingdom of God or common good is that everyone has enough and no one has to be afraid. And he mm -hmm. sort of put it into that context and likes mm -hmm. that kind of definition. And, and I think more like art than science, many definitions should be used. There should be many parallels. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we should, so sometimes we should use three words. Sometimes we should use 30 words. Sometimes we should use 300 words. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like love your neighbor. Uh, you start over defining that and, you know, you're going to end up with a parable at the end, you know, because mm -hmm. you can uh, defund the police probably needs more than three words 
Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm all for it, but it's because I think about that as like a 30,000 word notion. Mm -hmm. Black lives matter, probably more than three words. Mm -hmm. uh, God is love. Let's leave it there. Right. So, so these are some things that we uh, struggle with, you know, about like, how do we talk about it? Common good um, should be really, to me, really notion filled, uh, you know, like, uh, like how Jesus would say, like, what's the kingdom of God like? And then he tells stories and tells parables mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. makes contrasts and, mm -hmm. and uh, the disciples come to him and say, why do you speak in parables? Nobody understands what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, see, that's how you talk about those things that are inexplicable. Right. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That's great. That's mm -hmm. great. And then you look around, you're like, well, I know it's not that. But I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you know, about uh, pornography when they were trying to define it for the Supreme Court. And she says, well, I don't know if there's a definition, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> you know, that there, there's a sensibility that she was getting at there that, mm -hmm. um, that so, so it needs to stay in that in that space that um, that we have to be be a little careful so that's what i mean by that by, by common good it's an approach to life more than it is mm -hmm. a definition mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, no so i appreciate that especially you know um just that one comment sometimes sometimes you make the vote and it's not and it's not for you it's for the other and so um i do think that is um a broad approach that is super lovely i think it would be helpful Doug, since we are, um, our focus here in season four is around social media, just talk to us a little bit um, about how Vote Common Good has used social media, especially during this year of the pandemic, right? Because you, you were doing some more live in-person stuff pre-pandemic, um, but talk to us just about how you've used, what you've used, how you've used it, how, um, how you kind of have folded that in since you can't do the live stuff. Yeah, so we, we've thought of media and social media subset of the larger media landscape as an essential part of our Vote Common Good work the whole time. Meaning we knew that no matter what events we did, and we've run hundreds of events around the country, we travel the country in a bus, I lived in a bus for multiple months at a time, and ran in-person events all over the country to show up in places and engage with people and talk to them and show that it matters. But we also built all of that to be a socially shareable live experience. Mm. So the design from top to bottom of what we were doing was always designed to be accessible by people who were observing it via you know, websites and, and phones. So we thought about it, all of it top to bottom with that, with that impression, which is different than what we did when I was a pastor at Solomon's Porch. There, there we, we live streamed our stuff, but only like to, for the people who literally would have normally been in the room and couldn't make it. We were not, we were intentionally not trying to distribute our, commu our communal experience to people who are not part of our lived shared space community. Um, we, we, that, that, was, that was intentional and, and deliberate. Um, the vote common good expression is the, the, the opposite of that. It was always designed to be on television through news gathering places, to be put into documentaries, to be picked up by uh, 
you know, uh, TV shows that were following us around and doing it and spreading it on social media. So we were always thinking about people, what the message was to people who are not in the shared space with us. And the, the difference between those two is, is pretty dramatic. Um, mm -hmm. I think churches have to pick, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it works to not be clear about that. Mm -hmm. um, and getting clear about that and I don't just mean for the people, because a lot of churches say, well, there's both, like some people can't make it every week uh, and they want to keep up. Well, that means you're really designing your whole experience for people that are there or, or would normally be there. And then you're, you know, sending a little footage out uh, as, a, as, a, as a less than experience. Where what we do in the Volcom Good World now, when we were traveling, also when we were traveling the country, is we wanted people to have an experience online that was in and of itself meaningful. It wasn't derivative of the real experience. It was supposed to be delivered in a way that was that was meaningful. So we started events at certain times and we promoted them and we interacted with people and we thought about where the cameras went when, you know, mm -hmm. we go do these events and we did these during COVID, you know, in October or uh, August to November of 2020, 2020, you know, the country's on lockdown. We're doing outdoor events all over the country, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, out in parks, you know, people sitting outside and like question number one is where's the camera going to go, you know, and where's the stage going to go and how's the sound going to get to people. And so we were just as conscious of that as where were chairs going to go and how are we going to do masking and how distant are we going to stay? All of that was, was urgently important. So we thought about those, you know, as, as, um, intentionally as we as we possibly could and we still do that the reason we do a daily podcast now and so on you know every morning weekday morning we're producing an hour-long live stream and podcast and then we do a lot of webinars and other special special things and that's all designed because we know there are people all over the country who want to feel like they're part of what we're up to at vote common good and there's no way for them to do that with proximity so it has to be a connection through a digital kind of kind of relationship, and we work hard to make that to make that meaningful. Every morning, um, there are three or four of you, I think, right, that get on and um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, you have our dear our dear person that joins you, Doctor Reverend Doctor Stephanie Rose, um, who was on our last season's podcast and from Colorado Springs. Um, and then, are the other people the same people every time, or do you invite different people in? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, good question. It's both of those. So each day of the week, we have a different theme. So Monday is a news. Typically, we talk about news of the day. Tuesdays, we talk about politics. Wednesdays is a faith day. We have four faith leaders. I'm one of those. Stephanie Rose Spaulding is another. Laura Truax and Dominique Gilliard. And we, so the four of us host that conversation on, on faith on Wednesdays. Uh, I should mention the Tuesday one, there's a co-host on that politics one. We do a lot of interviews on those days with politicians and policymaker type people on Thursdays we talk about issues that are important so it's sort of a grab bag of things that we think are important to talk about then on Fridays we talk science and economics so we alternate between the weeks of it's going to be science and there's an astrophysicist who co-hosts uh, the science day and then we have on guests to talk about uh, economics 
So what we're trying to do is have many voices. You know, there's six, seven, eight, nine people in any given week uh, that are in these that are in these podcasts, and many of those are guests that are only on occasionally. And so, you know, over the course of a month, we want you hearing from many people, because in our world of low common good, we want people to know there's a lot of voices. So there's many people, many perspectives talking about all the things. And that's our approach. It's a very um, wide lens to, uh, to what we think, uh, how someone's going to frame a narrative of common good mm-hmm. uh, that really needs to be bigger and more things. And then I serve as a consi- one of the consistent voices in there to try to um, bring some through line and some, some regularity and some hosting and some consistency and some mm-hmm. friendly, you know, uh, I, I know who this is and I know what's going on. Um, and, and we, so, so that's our, that's our approach is to try to be very, very wide in our topic range, many voices, very consistent mm-hmm. on when we do it and, um, trying to produce something, uh, uh, quality. And the reason we do five days a week is because there's just too many people to get to. If we only did this once a week, and I'm sure you guys experienced this, like then, mm-hmm. then you're in a scarcity mode where mm-hmm. you're saying like, if we have this person on now, then we have to wait two or three weeks to have this other person on. And you're always mm-hmm. managing scarcity. Mm-hmm. We like the idea that we're saying like, we got to fill all these days. What are we talking about on Monday? Who's going to be our guest mm-hmm. on Tuesday? What's our, what's mm-hmm. our issue on Thursday? It, for us, it forces us to generate more things. And mm-hmm. we're in that, we, we think that's a good space for us. We, we think being in the space where we're not managing scarcity and we're uh, leaning into abundance, that's mm-hmm. a better way for us to see what we're doing and what we're up to. And we can be a quick yes to people when we reach out to someone and say, hey, uh, would you be on the podcast? Um, and they say, yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to, but I can only do Tuesdays. We're like, okay, we'll do that. Maybe we'll just adjust our schedule and like it make it gives us the ability to say yes more mm-hmm. more uh, often, which is something mm-hmm. we think is really important for the kind of messaging and work that we're that we're trying to do. Uh, that there's you know I like to joke. I've spent a lot of time in Guatemala. I like to joke that you know the um, the love of God, our podcast, and and uh, one of the public buses in Guatemala are the same. In the fact, there's always room for one more. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're never full. <laughs> and if you've been on a bus in Guatemala and you're like, there's no way we're going to get another person in this bus. And there's always room, you know, everyone just scoots a little closer. So we're trying to create a narrative that says we have to deal with all the things because mm-hmm. we don't have a problem. We have a predicament in this country and you respond to a predicament differently than you do a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I think, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to different pieces, like the science and the politics and the faith and the religion, it, it just feels like, um, I mean, the word that keeps on is like holistic, like you are really creating a space for um, a holistic life and integrating all of those p- pieces in order to, to um, understand and to live out your life. And, and I wonder, like, I'm thinking about you in this space, because I'm sure you're I mean, I know I've, I've watched you. You're brilliant in that space of that holistic, and you probably brought that element to the church context. But was it was it too narrow? Would you say it's too narrow for you? So that you're like, my my wings are being clipped. I need to, and I don't mean to be negative because I mean I think you did brilliant things at Solomon's Porch. Um, but like, did you feel like you needed that 
broader space to have those conversations with God calling you into the more holistic ministry that you feel like you're doing now? In some ways, that's true. Yeah, I did feel that, uh, that it was more restrictive there. In, in another way, it was more broad because we had this approach that whatever people of Solomon's Porch do in the world is what we do. So it felt right. really, yeah. it felt even a little more broad. Um, and, uh, but yeah, yeah, look, and the, like, it's a, it's a perspective of, uh, it's a discipline to, to want to think about many things and to have to open yourself up to uh, engaging and talking about a lot of things. And it allows you to set aside your expertise, right? Like I, I've spent my life and career and have my requisite 20, you know, 10,000 hours that I can now be an expert on something. Uh, and you, you don't get to do that when you're going to bounce around from day to day. And sometimes we'll record two podcasts in a day, you know, at two different, two totally different topics. And it's just a little mind numbing, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, can I talk about the filibuster? And then can we talk about, you know, the, the, the destructive power of human trafficking? And, uh, you know, how, how do you, uh, how do you do, but this is what human beings deal with all the time. And one of the things about Christianity and churches that always frustrated me was it would feel like we're creating these spaces where if we can get everything just so and just right, you could have an experience with God that could be transformative. But if we can't get all of that just right, that's eh, probably not going to work. And it just makes me feel, you know, I've worked in really big churches and churches where they put so much energy mm -hmm. into every little jot mm -hmm. and tittle to try to make it all lean in. You think, well, frankly, what, what use is that anywhere else? Because as soon as you leave that very highly regulated Truman mm -hmm. show like space, what good is it? You know? Mm -hmm. So we would say things, you know, the church that I, that I was at, like when a baby cries, we're like, well, good. It reminds us we should stop for a second, take time to listen to one another cry. Right. Let's just let the baby, mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's, let's mm -hmm. take a minute here. That's, that's, that's no problem. We're not doing anything so important. Mm -hmm. We can't be disrupted by someone crying. Um, and, and just trying to say, let's make, We, we, there was a point where we moved from one facility to another and we moved to different neighborhoods and the neighborhood we moved in to was one that we thought was really alive and fantastic. Other people were really afraid of it sort of in our cities. It was a kind of place that was heavily socially serviced. It was right down the street from where George Floyd was killed. And so that's, that was the neighborhood. And this was years before George Floyd was living here in Minneapolis or was murdered. But um, that, that was the neighborhood that we're moving into. And uh, people are like, oh yeah, you guys are going to, moving to that neighborhood and like bring ministry into the neighborhood and we're like no we're going to join in what's happening mm -hmm. in the neighborhood and mm -hmm. that perspective we, we saw what we did it, it, in our community and i think the same thing about about what common good like what we did in our meetings was to prepare us to have eyes to see and ears to hear where the life of god was happening in the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. Like this was not the place where we were trying to give people an experience with God. This mm -hmm. was a place where we were trying to curate the capacity to see how God is active in all the other places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, so it wasn't even tra training really. It was kind of 
you know, practicing mm -hmm. in a, mm -hmm. in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's a little bit of a different view, just sort of about where the ethos sits. So mm -hmm. all that to say, we've carried that over to this vote common good world where we want to travel everywhere and go to all the places mm -hmm. and talk to all the people and do all the things because mm -hmm. theologically I'm an allist, right? So mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. like universalism is a little too small of a category, like just okay. all and everything. It's everything. It's all. No. The I think that's great. And I think that like you were doing some freeing things like in in the the more institutional church. And now like that you've come onto this platform, it's even more freeing yeah. and even bigger. And um and I, I actually have to say I, I have felt that too. I have felt that um in this year we have we have done a a lot of things with with our church that has been very fluid and very freeing. And, um, and I, I don't know how, I don't know how to go back actually, um, yeah. to that, to the other. Right. Um, and so I think, um, I think that's, I think it's, it's beautiful what you're doing each morning. I think it's integrative and holistic and freeing. And now how, how do you, would you define community in that space? Well, that's been the hardest part. It, it's, I mean, as good as the internet is, as much as I love it, it's, it's a different human experience on a screen and in headphones and staring at a camera than it is when your energy is being exchanged in proximity. So that's a real problem. <laughs> I, don't know how to, I don't know how to respond to that one. Uh, uh, so I'm finding my own ways to be alive. You know, I feel mm -hmm. like I have to go for a walk every day. I have to look at people. But, you know, some of this work we've been doing has corresponded with the COVID shutdown and the feeling, you know, that I just don't touch anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. And we don't, uh, you know, I don't share a, a, a proximity of eating and all that with people. Like, I really, really miss it. Um, so, and that's always going to be a thing when you're, when you're curating a community that doesn't share share space. I'm not at all suggesting that the internet is not a viable place for people to form community. For mm -hmm. sure it is. Mm -hmm. But it's a community that's built on some human experience that's lacking some other human experience that you have when you're in proximity and shared mm -hmm. space with one another. Mm -hmm. And I think people are going to want that shared space too. I, I mm -hmm. think there's, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think there's a lot of people who are very happy going to their, uh, engaging in their spiritual community via their, their TV or computer screens. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to very much want to be sitting on a couch next to somebody and mm -hmm. um, lingering around and just mm -hmm. milling about and being around and feeling that energy thing again. You know, that I don't think a lot of people have literally forgotten what it feels like to be in a room with a bunch of people. Uh, you mm -hmm. feel it. You can. And so I, I'm not sure. I, I think churches are going to have some decisions to make if they're ever going to go back. My wife is a yoga instructor and runs a nonprofit yoga studio. And they're making this decision like right now. They're just going to start having in-person yoga sessions again. And when she moved online last March, she was literally saying, I don't know that we can hold yoga sanctuary together. I don't, you know, that's the name of the yoga studio. I don't know that this can work online. I just, how do you teach a yoga class online? I don't like the ones I've seen. And now she's saying things like, 
I don't know that I want to go back in person. There's a certain kind of connection that we have, right? And, and I don't know, how do we do this? And are people going to come? Because it's so convenient, all that transportation time. So, you know, that thing that seemed impossible now seems irreplaceable. Uh, and, mm-hmm. You know, humans are incredibly adaptive, aren't we? Like, we are a mm-hmm. curious group of people. We, we mm-hmm. can't live without something that we didn't have six months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, um, I think it's different kinds of people too. And I'm a, I very much want to be in space with people and shared space with people. And mm-hmm. I like that vibe. Uh, so I, I don't know. I like, I, this is what's curious. I could, I cannot do my own Christian spirituality online. Mm-hmm. Like as a contributor, I can do it. I can push it out and right. I do mm-hmm. hours of it a week, nauseatingly. So, uh, but like when other people say, well, hey, would you like we do this online church thing? Like, would you like to? Come? I'm just like, oh man, my my the way my brain works. Uh, if I'm talking, mm-hmm. I'm totally good with this. When I'm not, I am mm-hmm. I am not engaged. I mean, I am mm-hmm. shutting down in a way that's. Uh, so I don't know if I have to just develop that um, that capacity because there's not a church in my area that uh, kind of fits me too. So mm-hmm. I look around, I think, well, these churches online, but I can't do those. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, what an enigma, right? Like, <laughs> you know, the, like, no, I'm not going to someone's online church. I know. I mean, we, we probably we, would we say feel the same, same thing. <laughs> Is that right? Um, yeah. I mean, so that's what I'm, I'm, we're trying to like, for me, it's all about um, redefining and reclaiming. Right. And so I'm, I'm, as I'm listening, I'm watching people and I'm thinking like, I, I like the words fluidity and um, hybrid. Those are the two, two mm. words that I'm sort of working with when it comes to, but that's, but that's also going to mean that the incarnate, the in-person church is going to look different, right? Um, so we could still meet in person, but how is it now going to be changed? Because we've added this whole layer, right, of um, online um, practices. Um, and, and then also sort of the idea is it's not one or the other it's an and and what does that and look like right and so that is by by hearing your everybody's stories and and having people like you come on it helps at least for me to start to really um think about um how am i how are we going to redefine church and community in this new space and then on top of that um sort of hanging on to um you know, I'm getting doing my demon at ILIF right now. And one of my professors um, did um, his work on, um, on media and um, how the younger generations, um, the, the rate at which they create community online in a completely different way than someone in my generation would is remarkable. So what does that sort of look like ongoing too? Um, Because yeah, I want to be with people like in person. I mean, I, you know, um, for me, the Zoom worship doesn't cut it either, right? But but what does that look like long-term? And so, and I think you would probably agree that with that too. I mean, you're, you're doing online stuff every morning of the week yeah, because you yeah. know that there is, there is some level of need for that kind of connection and information giving and thought provoking. It's, it's, it's your, it's your preaching right now. It's your style of preaching in some ways. It's the spoken word coming out in um, just the different um 
in a different way. Yeah, and, and we all have to ask ourselves, what do we want out of our communities? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I like the sense in a community of it being uh, lavish sort of with time, you know, like, uh, like you sh and I like going to another place than the place that I live. I'm really tired of having everything revolve around my same home. I want to go somewhere and go into another mm -hmm. place and spend a little more lavish time and energy and talking about nothing or just being around like just, just bathing in that kind of an experience. And I know for a lot of people, they, they've, they've hated that part. Like for years, I watched people like show up right the second we were going to start doing content <laughs> stuff and leave 45 seconds before we finished doing content mm -hmm. stuff. Cause what they wanted was basically, you know, and they had mm -hmm. to tolerate these people around and mm -hmm. they, they weren't looking for that. They, what they wanted the whole time and they had to get it by showing up at a place and, and they did it anyway. What they really wanted is something you could get through a Zoom uh, mm -hmm. uh, online, mm -hmm. online experience, right? That's really, really what they wanted. And they had to suffer through the rest of that. So I think, well, is this, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Like now, do I have to sort of figure out a way to find find that uh on the mm, other side I, mm -hmm. I i don't know i'm not talking about paying penance or anything i'm just like i don't know is that how it's going is that how it's going to go um and you know does it does it um does it fit me or or not uh i i i don't know um there's uh, this theme um that has been coming up for us i mean both like i think this has happened in another recording we've done for the podcast but also within the life of the church of this this theme of you know um every single thing in in the life of your community doesn't have to touch you in all the ways right. when we recognize that um that there are lots of people with diverse i mean this is so simple right but it but it's powerful like um because when when we have that zoom meeting some people are connecting in this way and some people are connecting through the podcast and some people through are connecting. So there's like all these different entry points and all these different options. I mean, you know, as you were talking about being an allist, right? Like there's something there of when we have these different entry points and we have these different offerings, um, which has really kind of been our model through the pandemic. Um, it doesn't have to, like, you don't have to love all of it. Right. Right. I mean, that's probably like, that's also sort of the vote common good, right? You don't have to love all of it. You have to think about that collective and, and how is this affecting us all um, altogether? Yeah, and that's the difference between those of us who are designing these things on behalf of a community. You know, one of the leadership functions is to put this stuff together. We, we have to remind ourselves, oh yeah, we're gonna create a range of experiences to be crass, the user end, the person who's, you know, participating in what is created, they're likely going to only experience a, a fraction of those things, right? Mm -hmm. So like we know, look, if anybody's listening to our podcast five days a week, they, they should, they should expand their horizons and, you know, try some, <laughs> try some other things. That's mm -hmm. a lot. Five hours a week from us is a lot. Uh, you know, feel free to explore a little bit, skip Friday um, or only Friday, whatever. Uh, so, and the, that's the difference between uh, us as a as an in person engaged in a community and versus those of us who have a responsibility of leadership 
and creating something and thinking about it. And they're really different, different endeavors. Uh, mm -hmm. It's why it's, and it's true across the board, you know, chefs experience this uh, in their, in their work, you know, actors experience this, musicians experience it, you know, they, what they're producing and what they're creating is really different than what they want to partake in and what they mm -hmm. want to experience. Mm -hmm. And we should see ourselves more like those, the, the, those other uh, areas and disciplines, right? They're like, that's okay. That's a thing we do and not have to get ourselves all caught up in, well, what if everyone doesn't want to come or this mm -hmm. is too much for, mm -hmm. we used to hear this at Solomon's Porch all the time. People would say to me, like, we're just doing too much. I can't go to everything. I'm like, you don't right. have to. Of course, <laughs> of course you don't go to everything. Why is that even a, well, I, don't, I don't want to feel like I'm missing out. And they would literally say, I would rather us not do it and me miss out on it by us not doing it than me miss out on it by me not being able to go. <laughs> you do realize that if we don't do it, you also miss out or if you stay home. But so, you know, these are the, these are the struggles that, that we have in, a, in, any, in anything we're producing or anything we're creating if you're in this kind of wide range, you know, mm -hmm. do a lot of, I know a lot of churches and a lot of people, they're very tactical, right? Mm -hmm. They are, they are, I, I we like are not gun metaphor <laughs> stuff, but they're a bullet, not buckshot, you know, they're, I'm like, oh, let's, you know, let's do all the things and see what, see, see if something works um, mm -hmm. for someone. Mm -hmm. And then all gets back to this other question, which is what's, is the point of your life to do things to make an impact or is the point of your life to respond uh, in a healthy way to that, which you're seeing and experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I know those don't have to be as dichotomous as I just made them, but they're kind of different impulses, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, are you trying to change the world? Are you trying to love the world? Are you trying to make an impact? Are you trying to be impacted? Like these are just, there's mm -hmm. some, there's some differences in there. And it's a, it's a good thing to, to think about, um, about what we're sort of what we're up to. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we think you're um, super brilliant, um, and we have for some time now, um, and we hope that our listeners will tune in um, to your Vote the Common Good and join your community of, I'm looking at the numbers, 48,314 people that follow you um, because and that's just on Facebook. You could be, you know, all, all the right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so you're also on Twitter and name all the things Twitter and Instagram and Twitch and um, YouTube and those, okay. which frankly, you know, for some people overlap, but just to, you know, uh, reflect on the same conversation we we're just having, there's an awful lot of people who have a preferred channel. Right. They only right. tweet, they only tweet, they only watch YouTube, they only right. do Twitch, they only do Instagram, uh, they only do Facebook and yeah, they only do email. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that's, you know, we're trying to be, we're trying to be in all those, all those, all those spaces. Hey, Kate, can I give one little plug about a thing we're doing this fall? Yeah, it's called, it's called uh, We the People for Common Good Immigration and Border Practices. Mm -hmm. And it's centering around trying to raise awareness, public awareness around what's happening and the stories of what's happening around immigration, refugees, asylum seekers, and so on. And we're doing it via bike rides. So we're going to host community bike rides or ask people to host community bike rides all over the country. Um, and we're going to do a cross-country bike ride from San Diego to St. Augustine, Florida, along the southern border, along the border wall, and then along the coast. So a 3,200-mile bike ride. And we invite people to join in a day, a week, uh, a month, uh, all 3,200 miles. 
Oh my gosh, and, that's so fun. And so, uh, fun. so the time when we're doing this cross-country bike ride and meeting all the people and telling the stories, the borderlands, which is what they refer to as the area along from San Diego to Brownsville, Texas, um, the kind of that stretch of about 100 miles inland on there that's referred to by people that there as the borderlands. It's a very particular and beautiful and unique place in the United States, and it operates a little differently than the other places. El Paso, Texas is obviously in there, McAllen, Texas, Brownsville, San Diego. There's something about that, that space when you live in that flow of, of people's. So we're going to get really close. This thing's built around proximity and storytelling and listening and, and all the rest. So uh, we'd love for people to think about it, whether they want to ride with us on that time or do virtual rides as we go or host a community bike ride on one day in their neighborhood during this time from September 10th to November 14th. We'd very much like them to do that. So you can vocamagood.com has a link to it, but it's called wethepeopleride.org. We and it's a non it's not political in this in that classic sense of us like saying, you know, thinking about who you vote for. It's civic in the sense of calling for common good in our immigration and all that. So any bikers, any riders, any activists, any people that want to do fun and storytelling to counteract all the fear-mongering and threatening narratives that are coming out around our border. Absolutely. We want to want to ride and uh, get yeah, outside awesome. so we'll see the two of you on uh, on a bike seat somewhere you know on the southern border yeah that's yeah. awesome you know uh -huh. um, immigration is um particularly um personal to me um so it is a, a very very personal um what, what, why is that I, i'm the daughter of an immigrant Mm -hmm. um, and so it is something that's near and dear to me um, on, on obviously lots of different levels. And, um, and then our church also um, has, it's called the apartment project. So we have created an, an apartment in our, in our actual building space where we have um, housed undocumented immigrants. Um, so it is, thank you. I'm glad that you talked about that. It is an important um, thing to, thing to our community so which is and is also we love to ride bikes so yeah i know you're <laughs> you live in a bike capital uh a city that's a bike capital yes so if you all want to host one of the community rides sometime in september or october early november that would be a fantastic way to yeah, that would be awesome. nice to sign up on the on the website thank well you. thank you so much doug we all really right appreciate well, it this is an honor to be part of this thanks for doing the podcast and all that absolutely Next week's guest is our own Leslie Sheely. Leslie has an Instagram page called I Love Barbies 31, and she'll talk to us about the ministry that her dolls do. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com jhltb to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building. Thank you.